This week's episode is brought to you by 6minutemile.com. Running and fitness news hand curated and delivered directly to your inbox multiple times each week. These six easily digestible stories, reviews, and moments of inspiration are like the skim for endurance athletes. Sign up today and you'll get stories like the future of artificial intelligence and run coaching, which are the best gym exercises for runners, and comprehensive reviews of the latest and greatest gear from the top brands in the industry. Looking for your next race? 6-Minute Mile has a great event directory as well. Visit 6minutemile.com, pop in your email address, and sign up for your very own inbox full of endurance goodness. 6minutemile.com Our guests for episode 49 are no strangers to the podcast. The king and queen of FKTs, Jason Hardrath and Ashley Winchester, join us today as they team up to talk about doing massive efforts Ashley with an unsupported record on the JMT or John Muir Trail, and Jason collecting his 100th FKT by bagging Washington's 100 highest peaks on bulgers. We talk about catching COVID at 18,000 feet, hallucinating hermit crabs, supporting one another around the world, and why being a good partner sometimes means being as unsupportive as possible. It's always a blast to catch up with these two. It's a show that was 10 months in the making, so if you are ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to Faster Forward. I am your host, Troy Bousseau. This is a show where we sit down and talk with some amazing people from the endurance community, age groupers and Olympians, adventurers and explorers. We discuss their successes and failures about falling down, getting back up, and never, ever quitting. While it's not always about finishing, it is most definitely about starting getting on a journey faster forward. What is up, you two? How are you both doing? Hello, hello. <laughs> this has been a, uh, a long time in coming. We've been trying to get this one on the calendar for a while. I'm glad it worked. You have no idea the story behind the, all of this, but today on the show, we have Ashley Winchester and Jason Hardrath, respectively, two previous guests um, to the Athlinks podcast. Um, we were set to record back in February, I believe it was, and uh, one thing led to another. We missed each other. Um, <laughs> I'll say that. We missed each other, and then it, it sort of snowballed. I'm not putting this on both of you, by the way, but I'm just telling you sort of how it went. You, you were I, either you were the first guest to to cancel or miss, and then another guest the next day canceled. And I was so busy with everything else, and I just said screw it, and I parked the podcast for ten months. So I'm not putting it on you. It was the right time. It was good because now I'm fully motivated and I've got the right amount of time and energy and all that stuff to put into the show. So I think it was a little bit of um, divine intervention, basically, that said, hey, why don't you put pause on this podcast and, and get yourself, uh, you know, in a better place, you know, with everything else. And so it was good. Anyway, welcome to the show. It is wonderful to speak to both of you again. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're excited to be here. <laughs> Excellent. So, I, I mean, introductions are nearly impossible for both of you because you are, uh, the short intro is the king and queen of FKTs, right? And the most stunning couple in all of FKTs, if not endurance, but certainly in, in, in FKTs. So let's maybe, um, Ashley, ladies first, why don't you give just a quick intro into sort of who you are and um, why the folks should want to hear what you have to say? Yeah. Uh, my name is Ashley Winchester. I hail from Northern California originally from a small town called Boonville, California. Um, grew up kind of immersed in the wilderness and um, never let go of that as an adult. I tend to run FKTs that are um, 
a bit heinous sometimes. Um, I really enjoy off-trail travel. I like, you know, big miles, multi-day adventures, that kind of a thing. And uh, because of that, I actually recently got invited to a big race in Bhutan called the Snowman Race, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Indeed, we will. Yeah, that is awesome. The Himalayas, that's that's insane. That's super yeah, I'm very exciting. excited. <laughs> cool. And real quick, before you go, Jason, and you can touch on it, or let me just kick that off with a lot of our listeners may not know what FK, FKT means or stands for. So as you introduce yourself, um, Jason, why don't you give us a little primer on FKTs? Absolutely. We'll do the uh, super quick 30,000 foot flyover since some of your listeners heard us uh, heard us chat the last time we chatted. Um, yeah, the the long and the short of it, uh, ADHD little kid, couldn't sit still, struggled in school, struggled in all institutions and contexts where sitting down and shutting up was a requirement for success. Um, discovered through that the importance of movement for, for my mind and my body and my mental health. And one thing led to another. I fell in love with the process of taking on challenge, of learning things, of expressing myself physically. First, it was skating. Then it was breaking a six-minute mile in middle school. Uh, then it was making it, uh, making it onto varsity and making it to state as a high school runner. Then getting myself onto a college team. Um, all of these things, having to work, work, work my butt off to make the next mark and sort of yeah. ingraining this, okay, if you're willing to put the time in and you believe in the goal, you can achieve things. Um, and then transitioned after college into marathons and Ironman triathlons, had a big car accident in 2015, went out the window in a rollover accident, kind of put a big question mark into my running career um, with a doctor telling me that I'd probably never do that stuff again. Fought my way back over the course of a couple of years, uh, but became a hiker at the same time since I couldn't run anymore. And hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I was climbing mountains that had technical summit blocks. So it was like, well, I guess I need to become a rock climber now. So embraced the, uh, the struggle that is sucking at something new and learned that new skill set. And right around the same time as I started to really get a handle on all of the skills necessary to move safely across rock and technical terrain and glaciers, uh, the running started to come back. And I was like, taking weekends out going, well, you know, it's like, I'm not that fast of a racer anymore, but I can go bag these three peaks and have an epic weekend. And it was at that point that I discovered FKT's fastest known times, which are hosted fast, fastest known time.com. Um, and it was basically what I was doing. It was chasing tagging big peaks and, and moving fast on technical terrain. Um, and if anybody looks at my, my list, it's like, that's what a lot of them center around is moving across the challenges that nature has to present itself presents to us um, and bringing the very best I could bring to those spaces. Um, and very quickly, the idea jumped into my head to chase being the first person to a hundred FKTs. Yeah. Um, and that, that journey was uh, definitely one that grew me and stretched me and uh, it's documented in a film that's been released, a short film called journey to 100 that's available on outside watch and YouTube. Um, I'll make sure you have a link for the show description for people that haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, Ashley makes an appearance in the film too. Um, <laughs> she's a main character. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, then, you know, didn't hang up the shoes and call it quits just because I hit my hundredth. Cause uh, I always like to say the way, you know, you're properly aligned in the world is you want to celebrate having done the thing by doing more of the thing. Yeah. And so I've continued down the road of chasing these wild epics uh, with some more recent 
FKTs and, and big pushes and even a big fat failure uh, here recently uh, with uh, more FKT efforts in the mountains. All right, well, we'll leave everyone wanting more. I think the podcast is over. Jason just covered everything real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Cut. And we're done. So I had um, Abby and Cordis Hall on the show around the same time, in fact, um, which we haven't aired, which I want to air actually next weekend. So I'm just getting some permissions from them right now. And uh, early on in the podcast, I had Lindsay and Chris Sachs on. They're a husband and wife team. They both do you know, Leadville 100 and big Berkey Beaners and things like that. And one of the the things that I loved hearing were the stories about how a, a couple, you know, whether they're friends or or spouses or or partners or whatever it is, but can sort of put, you know, support each other simultaneously or put one or the other in front of the other. One of my, I've talked about it ad nauseum, one of my favorite running experiences of all time was pacing at Leadville 100. Um, just being in complete service to another runner while you're doing this very normally selfish thing where then all of a sudden it's it's completely selfless. So I wanted to, I'll, we'll touch a little bit throughout the show today of just how the two of you have kind of made this this relationship work where you're both doing amazing epic adventures, sometimes together, sometimes not together, and how that sort of plays in the dynamic. Because I think a lot of people, you know, my wife and I are now, you know, we're, we have a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. We've been married 21 years. And, and part of that was kind of, you know, those compromises that couples make in supporting one another at different times. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in taking a step back sometimes and then taking a big leap forward when you're in support of a, you know, big race type of thing. So um, we can maybe just talk a little bit about that and then we can kind of pepper in throughout the, the conversation here. But how do you two approach that when, um, you know, certainly Jason, during that time you were chasing the hundred, you know, there was, I don't know if it ever took precedent per se, but again, Ashley, you're queen of FKTs and, and doing amazing efforts. How do you guys balance those two things when one need? I mean, I, I guess on the FKT side, you're sort of, by definition, unsupported in the race, but I'm sure there's a lot of support that goes into it. Do you want to jump in there first, Ashley, and I'll follow <laughs> up? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, a lot of what we do involves a, a lot of traveling and you know of course we share the responsibilities of driving and stuff like that but um for me generally if i get to go explore a new place i'm pretty darn happy mm -hmm. and um so when jason was chasing the 100 100 fkts it was definitely like there was a lot of priority that was put on that and so he would kind of map out these fkts and be like okay i want to go here and do these fkts and you know of course like i wasn't ever required to go um i didn't have to go i'm always you know i i can yeah. do whatever i want to do but you know i want to join like, him I, and i, I want to go, go there that absolutely yeah, it's not like yeah. i was choosing places that sucked <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so you know i i would definitely like i'd go along and then if he had a, a big effort that needed to be supported in some way um then i was there for that and other than that i would kind of take off and do my own thing when he was doing his thing and so you know we were both able to chase fkts at the same time um and i think that worked out really well for us i mean i wasn't um doing as many fkts and like 
you know, the weekend or the, the break that we had to go and do them as he was like, um, I tend to take a little bit more rest time. Mm. And so, you know, that little bit of rest time allowed me to, you know, help him in whatever way we needed to. And then, um, you know, for the, the boulders, the 100 highest peaks of Washington, um, that was like full on support on my end. And I, I mean, like you said earlier, you know, there's something about supporting somebody and in, in doing, you know, this huge endeavor that, you know, maybe they've been dreaming about forever, or, you know, it's like this culmination of, of this huge project that Jason had going on. And of course I want to be involved with that. I want to do everything I can to make sure that, you know, he's successful. And I just, it, there was a lot of joy in that and being able to support him and you know, I got to live in the Cascades for <laughs> 50 days and so yeah. it wasn't so bad, you know? Yeah, <laughs> isn't yeah, she, isn't she amazing? <laughs> I know, she is. There's all sorts of, I guess, uh, you know, kind of corny terms in business. And one of them is servant leadership. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, and then again, backed up in that Leadville experience, is how important as corny as it may be, something like servant leadership is in just completely giving yourself and how ultimately that um that just pure act of selflessness ends up being more fulfilling than maybe even you crossing a finish line right so jason when you know how did you do you see it as ashley saw it or sees it in terms of obviously there's i'm sure just an insane amount of gratitude um, during that time where you had this, this support of a wonderful person, but how do you think about that? And especially when you're on this, uh, not just each individual FKT, but the larger Epic quest, basically your journey to a hundred at some point, do you start, does the, I don't, I'm going to use selfishness, but I don't mean it in a negative way, but obviously everybody around you is sort of pulling you know, helping you pull the weight toward that hundred. How do you, you know, do, like at some point when you're alone in your thoughts on top of a 14 or is that grinding at you? Are you in the moment? How are you feeling about that? So, I mean, there, there were a lot of my list where I was just out there self-supported and unsupported and solo and, and all that. And it's, so I don't want to mispaint yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the journey to 100. There was a lot of the list that was, self-supported, unsupported, just out there alone in my little geo metro I was living out of for a summer. Um, but when it comes to the ones that that were supported, I, I think you almost have to rewind, right? And you have to set the context of the relationship. The, at the at the forefront, the the at the founding of our relationship, the premise that like I took the time, we both took the time to be sure of is is that Ashley was interested in this wild adventure van life like roaming around and seeing places and being in new places and that 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 was at a primary like desire for her to go ex explore and be curious and see the world and not be stuck in a nine to five job in chico california anymore yeah. um and so it's like the the there was this exchange there right like not that everything in a relationship should be like some kind of transaction but it's like it wasn't like she was giving up Right. Something somewhere she wanted to be in an opportunity she really wanted to do to to come be a part of these things. It's like this was sort of a creative synergy to use another uh, tacky term from the uh, business world um, where 
we learned how to express our own styles within some of the most beautiful places of the world where she would have a certain thing she wanted to go for. And I would have a certain style I wanted to go for. And at first, like, you know, it was a little clunky, clunky. It was like, oh, do we want to try to do this together? Do you want to do the same thing I did at a different time as a solo woman? And it's like, oh, that really wasn't my style. Like you were able to do that scramble, but I wasn't comfortable on it. Um, so we like learned a lot about ourselves and about how to find things that fit us in the same space so that we could execute them. And then like learning to fit them within sort of that uh, periodization scale, right? Like I would need some days of rest between two of my efforts or three of my efforts. I would try to slam into a break to take this march toward a hundred and she would want to fit one or two efforts in there. It's like, okay, so mm. I go here, here and here and you fit here and here and then we're able to be apart. But all along I've loved, I've loved the fact that one of Ashley's desires, it's, it's gr of great humor to me. And I've, I've pointed it out on the internet before on social media. Uh, she loves to pursue solo unsupported women's records because she wants to inspire women to feel empowered to go after these things. And so yeah. I get to sit back and like post on social media, like hashtag most unsupportive partner, like world-class <laughs> unsupport. Um, like here's me being unsupportive of Ashley. Um, you know, I'm like sitting back, having a burger, drinking, drinking a beer. It's like, yep, she's out there suffering. And this is me not helping. That's right. <laughs> um, but that's what she wants. Like she, yeah. she doesn't want to, you know, have a highly involved crew with the stuff she does. Cause part of the, part of the goal she's aiming at is bigger than herself <clears throat> in the same way that the, the journey to 100. And I think this is the other answer to the question, right? Like, is it just self-serving? Um, I adventure to teach and I teach to adventure, right? There's a cycle there for me. Um, when I go out and do the, I, I'm a school teacher for those who haven't tuned into the previous episode. Yeah. When I go out and adventure, I know that one of the primary reasons I'm out there is because it gives me permission to speak into my students' lives about aiming high, about pursuing big goals, about keeping a, a fit body and a well put together mind and managing your health. Because there's a whole world out there that's at, at the tip of your fingers. If you do so, it's the keys to the palace. Um, and so even in that, that, that scale, I know that I'm serving something greater by going out and pursuing these things than just, Hey, look at me. I'm a cool guy while I brag in the bar over a beer. It's like, I have no interest in that right. whatsoever. Don't, don't give a, a shit about it. Yeah. Um, but what I do care about is that when you do big things, people invite you into what I, I consider a sacred space where their dreams live. They, mm. they, they invite you to speak into their concept of self, what they believe is possible, and what they're willing to aim at next. And I, I hold that space as very sacred. And, and in a way, I know that when I pursue these big things, I'm setting myself up to have more instances of being invited to speak into those spaces. And I, I take that very seriously as a, as a part of what I'm doing, as part of what answers the question of, is any athletic endeavor, is any athletic pursuit non-selfish or non-self-serving? It's like, well, the only right. way you answer that, yes, it's not just self-serving, is if you're following this path of bringing something back to the people around you who are seeking a way to, to escape the mundanity of, of their own life or, or their own self-limiting self beliefs. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the, like, if I tried to slam it all into a nutshell, how yeah. I would answer that. <clears throat> yeah. And look, there's, there's nothing wrong, uh, in 
being in the pursuit of self-betterment, you know, you have to better yourself in order to speak to others, right? So it's not like you can just, you know, become this storyteller with authenticity if you don't do the things that you're trying to inspire others to do. That goes for obviously both of you. Um, yeah, I was I was reading. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase the 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 post, Ashley. But it was uh, last week, and I had that. Well, I'm not going to paraphrase. I'm going to read it. Last week, and I had the pleasure of joining the inaugural Mammoth Fe- Mammoth uh, Mammoth Trail Fest. I chose to run the 50k distance as a test piece to practice piece, pacing and nutrition. Man, I'm drunk for the snowman <laughs> race. The 50k had about 7,000 feet of gain and stayed at elevation between eight and 11,000 feet. I texted. At Jason Hardrath at mile 10, I feel like poop emoji. His response, good practice. <laughs> so <laughs> that uh that pretty well sums up uh yeah. our, our interactions during during these things where you know it's not going well. It's like, you know, both of us have been out there enough and sure. had these experiences enough and know know one another well enough to know what we're aiming yeah. at to be able to respond with that, like, yeah, like maybe. Maybe it sucks in the moment, but this is what you signed up for. Um, yeah, and, and how important is that for both of you to have somebody so close that can give you the tough love in the right moment, the words of encouragement? Because that that was one of the hardest things I did. I had pacing at Leadville was I didn't I didn't know Kent very well, so I didn't know him at all. Actually, we literally met at Twin Lakes, you know, to start, and so I didn't know how how brutal, how honest, how caring, how loving, whatever it, you know, he needed in the moment. Have you guys, do you guys get that more right than wrong at this point? Have you had any, do you have any stories of sort of where one of you got it totally wrong and just, I don't know, Ashley, do we, do we get it right or do we get it wrong? (laughs) I mean, I, I I feel like we mostly get it right. Um, I mean, I think we can read each other pretty well. Um, and even, you know, even if we do get it wrong, it's like the other person uh, will definitely call them out and mm. be like, yeah, no, I'm done. Um, but we can we can usually make the the right call for each yeah. other. Jason's a little bit more of the like tough love kind of guy because, you know, when, you, when he sees somebody go out to do, you know, take on this big effort, do this big thing yeah. um, that's potentially life-saving, he's going to be like, yeah, no, you have more in the tank. I know you do. Just keep going. Um, and I think that's a really great thing about him because if he was just all 100%, you know... Love and fluff. <laughs> fluff, yeah. Um, and was like, okay, well, if you want to quit, then go ahead and quit. Nobody's going to care. Then I think that, um, yeah, it just, you know, for him, it's like he wants to lift other people up and you know, in order to do that, there's a little bit of tough love involved, um, which sometimes is the right thing. And sometimes it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, I, I need a little fluff right now, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you toughened up because of that, Ashley, in terms of what you need to get through things? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think that, you know, the toughening up that I've seen in myself over the last few years is Um, been because I've made the choice to push through, but it is definitely, you know, nice to have a partner who is there to kind of, you know, push you and kind of, and go, yeah, I know you have more in you. I know that you can do this. Um, and I feel like that, you know, because I do so many, uh, solo unsupported efforts, I feel like most of that comes before I actually 
take the first steps. It's Jason going, no, I, I know you can do this. And it's me, you know, with some self-doubt, um, and him, and him kind of pushing me to just try it. Um, and so that's kind of, I think where more of that comes in, but during the race, it was like, well, this, I, you know, it's not unsupported. Um, we're not yeah. setting any records in here. Yeah. So I, you know, easily happily texted him like hey i feel like shit um <laughs> yeah and, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll backpedal there and i mean when you zoom out to a meta scale like would have jason hardrath have done the 100 fkts in the timeline he did the 100 fkts without ashley winchester absolutely not mm. like it wouldn't it wouldn't have materialized as fast would have i still done mm. it yeah, damn, I'm a driven person. Like I would have right. gotten that project done. But there's no way without a supportive partner. Um, and that that's something I was like, like I had a laser focus on looking for was a partner yeah. that was going to be psyched on being out in those spaces and letting me and not just letting me, but like being stoked that I was out in those spaces because I didn't want someone that was going to act like a, a windbreak. Um, right. like, like somebody let the anchor out on the boat. Uh, as I tried to pursue my dreams and goals, like I knew how yeah. I was wired. It's like some people, that's fine. They need someone that anchors them. You know, you'll hear people talk about how, oh yeah, they're For my sure. anchor. They're my, and that's what they need in life. Um, because yeah. maybe they just wander all over the place and don't, don't accomplish anything. Yeah. Um, me, it's like, no, I have, I know exactly what I'm aiming at. Um, well, you wander and accomplish. I wander and accomplish. <laughs> um, and so making sure that that was a part of it was, yeah. was a big deal. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, Ashley being the queen of FKDs, I highly doubt that she would have materialized that as fast or, or maybe even found that. I don't know what, what, to what degree uh, she attributes that to having met me and me, that being an avenue I was going down. Yeah, she's um, shaking her head right now. But, saying, no, you, you have held her back, <laughs> in fact. Um, <laughs> but it's like the context, right? It's like that silly quote, like you become like the five people who you spend the most time with. Right. Um, it's like, we've been really good for each other to catalyze and accelerate each other's pursuit of big goals and belief in self and, yeah. and chasing big things and not giving up in the middle of, you know, the struggle um, versus acting as like a limiter to one another. Um, and I, I yeah. do think that's really important to, to recognize and to, to state, you know, like it's true. Like the, the people you align yourself with will affect your outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, it does speak volumes about you and your character, Ashley, that because, you know, in my dealings with Jason, he's clearly not a, um, he's a good guy. He's a good, good person, good man. And the fact that he's not, um, because look, it, it is difficult. And again, I've been married long enough to know there are times when you need to sort of hold on to the other person and the other times you need to sort of stand behind and push. And it's tough, especially in a young relationship, I'm sure, you know, where it's, you know, you don't, I don't, there's so many different ways to trivialize it. But again, I'm going to go back to my experience at Leadville. There was no freaking way. It was freezing cold when I was out there and I was a little bit underdressed. There was no way I was going to complain when this guy was 72 miles in his feet were killing him and i'm like you know 12 miles in of walking and it's just cold you know and so th there's something about that that need to support and just sort of suck it up and and push your own needs down that 
I think, I don't know. It was, I don't know if it was possible for me to grow in four hours, but I did. And so, you know, I would imagine both of you in these experiences and watching the Journey to 100 film and actually your, your appearance in it where you're clearly extremely emotional about what is, I don't want to, you know, sort of give away the plot here, but uh, I mean, you, you, you guys, you can tell that, you know, you care for each other so deeply and what each other is accomplishing. It's really cool to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I would also say in those in those moments where I appeared in that in the film, I actually was probably like 48 hours sleep deprived. And um, I mean, yes, I was yeah. very much attached to the project and, you know, and Jason and, and, you know, making sure that he has what he needs and that he's getting done what he needed to get done. And, mm. um, but there, some of that emotion was definitely from sleep deprivation yeah. on my part, which <laughs> I guess kind of goes back to what you're saying, like, you know, you pushing your own needs down in a way and making, yeah. you know, maybe some sacrifices. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, to get, to get real with it. I think that's one of the, one of the biggest things that, that doesn't need to be downplayed at all, regardless of sleep deprivation or not, you know, Ashley, from, from my understanding, Ashley does care about me and, you know, she doesn't want me to perish out there. And You've the types told. of the, the rumors have it, rumors yeah. have it, um, <laughs> no real indications, but, uh, I'll go on good faith, uh, that, you know, she doesn't want me to die out there <laughs> mm -hmm. and I choose to pursue things that there is a risk of that, you know, doing the Bulgers project. It's not just walking up a trail to the top of, uh, you know, a well-established trail to a hundred peaks. It's like full on glacier travel and crevasses you can fall in and snow bridges that break and rock climbing and route finding and bushwhacking. Um, it's not a tame project. And so each time I went out, there was the distinct possibility like, oh yeah, he breaks his leg out there. Or he falls and I never see him again. Um, and she had to sit with that. Right. And, mm. and remain supportive and encouraging and positive. Yeah. Um, even in those moments where that feeling, well, you know, like, oh, he's three hours later than he said he was going to be, um, for the third day in a row. Right. Um, like that, that that's emotionally taxing. You want to talk about being able to sit with your emotions and keep yourself in a, in a centered, calm state of mind. It's like, she deserves a ton of credit for her capacity yeah. in that regard. Um, and the fact that only a little blurb of her crying um, and <laughs> crying for joy of the project coming yeah. together makes it into the film. It's like, bravo. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you guys do when, when the other is out on a, on an effort like this or, or an actual FKT where you're in support, do you have enough time for your own, you know, multi-hour like, do you, do you own enough of your own schedule to, to have a great day out there? Or is it still so much logistics of getting things around? I think it depends. It depends um, on the day. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the day. It depends on what we have going on. And, um, you know, with the boulders, actually, I was able to go out and get, I think, three FKTs during mm. the whole project. Cool. And so, you know, I was definitely able to go out and sort of tackle my own objectives, um, which was really, really nice. But, um, you know, on top of that, it's, you know, if I, if I'm supporting and, you know, I have this chance to backpack in a resupply or something like that, like yeah. that's fun in its own way. Um, you know, I love doing stuff like that. So, um, I'm a backpacking guide, you know, I, it's just, I, I enjoy being out there no matter what it is. Yeah. And real quick for our listeners, the, I think all FKTs, 
are unsupported, correct? Or is it just some? There's three. Is it, three, is it a designation? Yeah, there are three categories. There's uh, okay. unsupported, which means you don't receive any support from anyone in any way. And that um, includes just even someone walking with you, correct? Yeah. Yeah. No pacing, yeah. including that be, photographers. Be yeah. Yeah. So, based and there's some of them that it's like it's serious enough of an effort that even somebody coming out there to clap for you, like wow. to me, makes a difference. Like I, I think about the rim to rim to rim alt. You you mm -hmm. have to route find your way. The trail's you know not super well defined, so you have to do a ton of route finding uh, down and back up to not get lost. And you have to swim the Colorado River a cold fast water swim at the bottom twice one mm. you know the second time you're kind of racing daylight to to get back down and make the swim so that you're not you know trying to make a swim across a fast moving river in in the dark um mm. and that's a that's an emotional burden to bear if the whole day you know i'm i'm alone and if i mess this up there's no one to save me versus you have one friend down there standing at the bank of the river to clap for you you have this thought in your head that's like, they could help me. If something right. goes wrong, they could help me, right? That yeah. radically alters the whole experience. So that is supported. Even if they just end up standing there and you yeah. carry all your own gear and you don't take anything from it, it's like, sorry, it changes it. Um, you didn't have the same experience as the person that was out there alone. Yeah. Um, and, and then, okay, and so no, to, move, to, to jump into okay. the others, they're self-supported, which means okay. you like drop caches along the way. Okay. Um, or you could go into any publicly available resource. So if the route goes past a gas station, you could walk in and buy whatever you wanted there because anyone who does that route could do that. So that mm -hmm. falls within self-supported. And then yeah. finally, there's supported, which means other people can drive you, pace with you, hand you, just, just like a race, having a crew okay. at a race. Um, and do you so, both have a mix of those? Do you prefer one or the other? I definitely prefer unsupport unsupported myself um i you know like jason said earlier i there's definitely something deeply within me with where i want to use these big efforts you know going out there solo going out there unsupported to help inspire other women to go and tackle big things as well um but then there's just for me this deep joy and knowing that i'm responsible for myself and that i can take care of myself and you know, I'm the one who did the planning and I, I'm the one who's executing and, yeah. um, there's a really deep sense of satisfaction in that, but then there's, you know, we definitely have some supported, uh, records and self-supported records as well. Got it. Yeah. The, if you haven't done so yet to go back and listen to each of the episodes, because the amount of what really struck me at the time was how much you are both basically race directors in addition to the effort that you're doing. There's so much logistical planning involved in all of these efforts, really, even the ones that have already been mapped out. There's still, you know, a lot of work that goes into each of these efforts. It's really fascinating stuff that I was completely unexposed to before talking to both of you. It's a, it's a cool world. Um, cause it's like, you know, I've got, I'm in my PE office. I've got uh, 150 bib numbers hanging up behind yeah. me of the different races I've done. It's got, when you do an FKT, you still show up to test your fitness yeah. in exactly the same way as you do at a race. Like you still have to be dialed in, oh, I need to eat on these intervals and drink on these intervals. And I can only run this fast for this long before I burn out. Like if it's a race longer than that, I have to adjust my pace. Um, you still have to do all of that. But then you're taking all of what usually is offloaded to a race director on your shoulders too. Like what's the optimal route? How do I not get lost? How do I bail out if something goes wrong? Um, all of those details 
what skills, what tools do I need? What's the proper footwear? What's the, what's the weather going to be like? And so what, what do I need to be wearing? Like all of that is on your shoulders and I love it. I love, I love that part of the challenge (laughs) to make all those decisions correctly. Um, because you know, I'm not a super athlete myself. Like I'm not elite in, in individual, like running performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it gives me that little bit of, well, okay, if I can just think better than the person who did it for me, even if they're faster, if my plan is better, I can beat them. And I like, I like that, that sort of full human, like you have to bring all of you to the game to win, not just your leg speed. Yeah, that's cool. So Ashley, you, uh, you had a pretty adventurous, uh, time at 18,000 feet at, I'm not even going to try to, a con, a con, Aconcagua. So you got a little COVID at 18,000 feet. That had to have been just a wonderful experience. It was, it was kind of wild. Yeah. Um, in January, I went down to Argentina to guide Aconcagua, which is a almost 23,000 foot tall peak. Um, and, uh, it's one of the seven summits. Um, super excited about this opportunity. You know, we were doing the kind of traditional expedition style mountaineering and, um, yeah, that was during the time when Omicron broke out and everybody was getting COVID. And, um, you know, we thought that maybe we had somehow missed it. You know, we're Mm. out in the middle of nowhere. We're on a mountain. Um, but as it turns out, base camp is a pretty hopping place <laughs> and there are a lot of shared resources. And, um, we heard rumors of people having COVID when we were at camp one, um, which is at about 16,000 feet. Okay. And then we moved up to camp two, uh, 18, about 18,500 feet. And, um, everybody started showing some symptoms of acute mountain sickness and, you know, we were trying to manage it. And then one of the one of our um, guests, one of our team members, um, ended up getting a fever. <laughs> and mm. we were like, well, that's not mountain sickness. Um, and she was very stable. Um, obviously, didn't try for the summit. Three of us tried for the summit. None of us made it. Um, I actually started coughing so hard that I injured my ribs oh, wow. um, on that day. And I don't know, I didn't go to the doctor, but, um, I'm pretty sure I separated ribs or tore some intercostal muscles because it took a long time to recover from that. Um, and then we were actually, once we were able to see a doctor, um, two of our teammates got helicoptered off the mountain Wow! and, and the rest of us had to walk out, um, the 16 miles with our gear. Wow. <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, it was an adventure, but it was, it was pretty amazing to see how the team bonded through that and how positive everybody stayed. Um, you know, it's, it was a team of all women and I, I honestly think, I'm not sure that we would have bonded as much as we had if, if we didn't have that experience. And, um, it was still, you know, a wonderful time on the mountain, um, despite, you know, getting sick and, um, a lot of like crazy memories from that experience. That's awesome. Do, she doesn't always were... catch COVID, but when she does, <laughs> she's above 18,000 feet. That's right. <laughs> That's right. 
Um, I, I've had it twice and luckily neither time it went into my lungs. I've been super lucky, but I mean, it's just the horrible aches from your hips to, I mean, every, everywhere I have ever been injured in my life was just absolutely on fire and, and just felt awful. So, um, I can't imagine getting that at 18,000 feet though. Yeah. The exhaustion was, was real. Um, you know, I was, I was doing water runs and the, the, our water supply for camp was about a quarter mile away. And, you know, that's hard. That's a hard walk. Um, even when you're healthy, but (laughs) doing that, you know, sick, it just added to the fatigue that you feel at that elevation. And it was, it was really challenging. And as guides, you know, uh, my co-guide and I, um, you know, we're still in charge of everybody. And, um, luckily we didn't get as sick as the others. I mean, I had the the coughing and the ribs. Um, she was fairly normal. Um, so we were able to care for everybody, but it was, it made it more challenging. (laughs) It made it it more challenging. She just calmly and evenly, even handedly just like, yeah, our team has COVID at 18,000 feet. Yeah. It made it more challenging. (laughs) Yeah. Understatement of the year. Um, sounds like you've had some really good opportunities. You'd mentioned a minute ago, you were backpacking guide, which I think you were doing the first time we spoke, but I think you were pretty new at it. You had left the veterinary um, clinic or whatever after the fires and things and had been doing that. And it sounds like sounds like you've leveled up quite a bit in some of the adventures. You know, I've, I've tracked you guys both on, um, on Instagram and, and uh, have enjoyed watching some of your adventures. So um, is that kind of have, is, are you doing that full time? Not full time. Okay. I um through the guiding season, so I work for Shasta Mountain Guides okay. and um our backpacking season is kind of like late spring through early fall. Okay. Um and so I pick up a trip every two to three weeks so that I can also, you know, pick up my writing work and get that done and then have time for my own personal objectives because nice. that's definitely priority for me. Yeah. Um, but the backpacking guiding, you know, it's funny because I've been working at Shasta Mountain Guides for um, three years now and, you know, working on the mountain, uh, guiding on, on Mount Shasta. And this year was the first year that I did the backpacking trips and I really fell in love with it. Mm. Um, there's just something about the backpacking trips that it seems like it's more transformational for the guests that are there. Um, I think on the mountain, most of the people that we have are, you know, have some level of experience and then they also just have this, like this goal, you know, they want to get to the summit and that's what they're there for. While with the backpacking trips, they're there to learn. They're there, you know, they're most of the people that we have have never even slept in a tent before. Mm. Um, and so it's this great opportunity to teach and for them to learn. And I, I love teaching, you know, outdoor ethics and, and backpacking hacks and Mm. tricks. And, you know, even sometimes we've got to go over how to set up a tent and how to pick a spot for your tent. And, you know, it's just, I, I love it. And at the end of the three day backpacking trips, they're, you know, especially on the women's trips, you see a lot of, um, just empowerment and these mm. feelings of like, Oh, I didn't know I could do that. And I, yeah. I, I actually did it and I liked it and now I want to do more and it just makes me feel strong and, and capable. And, yeah. um, yeah, I just, I, I love it. 
That's cool. So more soft love than tough love, probably in those uh, pep talks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little bit more laid back than the mountain. The mountain we're pretty regimented. Um, you know, there's a higher risk up there, and so um, yeah, we're we're a little bit more serious. But yeah. uh, the backpacking trips are a bit laid back. Yeah, that's cool. Jason, when did you when did they get involved with making this movie? Because it was um, as it's an amazing. Um, film and everybody will will have a link in the notes and and whatnot. But in watching it, it's one of those. I don't know if when you did your first FKT, you had a mindset of I'm going to do a hundred. It would have been so amazing to see more of the journey. It's a little bit, I think, sort of uh, uh, backloaded, I guess, in the in the the latter half of the the hundred. But what, what, at what point did you decide or get backing or or whatever the opportunity to make this film? I'll jump into that, but first I'm going to shamelessly plug Ashley. You know, if you're if you're listening to this and you're a cyclist or a runner who wants to take on the mountains or take on backpacking, she really is world class at at what she does. That's why she got invited to guide with all expeditions on on Aconcagua. She does amazing work. She's also going to be doing uh, fast pack guiding and run guiding, like running trips in the mountains with uh, Aspire Adventure Running this upcoming year, probably. Um, so yeah, definitely reach out to her and connect if you're interested in that sort of thing. All right, That's shameless awesome. plug, shameless plug over. Um, Always welcome. We love native ads. Um, so yeah, no, it it was pretty far, like very early on, um, ridiculously early on in the the journey to 100 FKTs. I knew I was pursuing going to 100. Okay. Um, so early on that it would have been ridiculous for me to talk publicly about it. Um. It's just like something that I knew I was going for, but like how egotistical would I sound even if I said this to my friends? Um, right. But then as I got further along, obviously people start taking note like, oh, this guy has more FKTs than anyone and uh, he's knocking them out at a crazy rate and they're not exactly flat, easy trail runs. Um, so it wasn't until I was probably 60 or 70 FKTs in that the film project actually materialized. And I'd captured a little bit of footage on some of the stuff. I've always been more about the athletic pursuit, the purity of it, especially early on. It was right. Cause I had the car accident and the, the experience subjectively in inside of myself at the car accident was a loss of personal power, a loss of independence, a loss of this freedom to just be humanly capable of doing whatever I set my mind to and being told like, yep, that's done. And so I think a huge part of the initial journey was just me against me, me with me. Like, no, I, I am going to be a capable, competent person who can go out and do whatever it is I decide I love. And yeah. there aren't going to be limitations there. And so doing the work necessary and then finding the test pieces that allowed me to just sort of demonstrate that it was like a rite of passage or a, a gauntlet of testing, if you will. Um, but yeah, then obviously people started taking note, um, started getting some podcast interviews like this. And through one of those yeah. interviews, got connected with Athletic Brewing. And they were still small enough at the time, which, you know, it's wild how much they've grown. Um, yeah. You know, now like international, th three different breweries, shipping to like multiple countries, let alone all of the states in the United States. They weren't even doing that when I joined on. Um, they've been a, what, Times Magazine, 100 most influential businesses. It's like That's wild. Awesome. It's unreal. But at the time... Right. So now this mega, this mega, you know, juggernaut yeah. uh, at the time, I could email directly with the CEO and founder. <laughs> like yeah. that was the person I corresponded with about my FKT efforts. That's awesome. um, 
And, you know, I'd, I, you know, since he was being nice enough to like, I was getting free beer and he was sending me a little bit of like gas money for some of the efforts. I was like, oh, I should like, this guy probably lives a busy life and he seems to love the outdoors. So I'll just write him little blurbs from like, like highlight snippets or, you know, sometimes low light snippets of the intensity of a particular effort. And after one of them, a particularly harrowing one where like I climbed across, uh, I forget if it was, it was, no, it was uh, one where I'd like hung from my fingertips, like soloing this rock route. And I like described in detail, like the movements and like getting around this, uh, you know, kind of flailing uh, inexperienced climber group where I'm like, oh, I don't want to get knocked off because I don't have a rope. They have a rope. I don't. If they fall into me, like game over. Um, yeah. And I like kind of described the whole process and the emotional and physical experience um, of like staying centered through that whole process. Uh, and he's like, we've got to make a film of this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're actually a person that when you say that, like that's yeah. well within your ability to make that happen. And I was like, that's okay. Awesome. Um, and so then the the process of capturing Journey to, Journey to 100 became a thing. So we kind of retrieved some of the old footage and clips that I'd taken um, from the few that I bothered to capture footage on uh, previous yeah. and then started collecting more footage from things that were happening from from there on out. But uh, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of the film is dedicated to the uh, 100 tallest peaks of Washington. That was my 100th yeah. FKT. Um, and it's, I mean, it's so beautifully shot and it's obviously a great, um, you know, I, uh, it, it's, there's so much of everything that kind of surrounds what, I don't do what you guys do, but endurance in general, that is just so beautiful. And, you know, watching some of these films, it's tough because I know what you're saying in terms of like the egotistical side of it, where you're like, who the hell wants to watch a movie about me or whatever. But there's, um, a lot of us do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of us want to see these things because frankly, I'll never do an FKT and I'll certainly never do these, you know, uh, these massive efforts and, you know, um, the snow. And I mean, there's just, there's, there's 50 things that you do that I'll never do. And so <laughs> you, you don't, question, you don't want to hang by, by, uh, blades of, of metal on your toes and, and two ice picks above a crevasse you could throw a bus into. That's not on your to-do list. Gym and I knew I wasn't going to get hurt. I would. Sure. Yeah. I'll do it in the gym. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold two handles while someone stands there with a stopwatch and says, you did it. All right. Congratulations. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, but it's amazing. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, there's a lot of us that, you know, there's, uh, there's an, there's an endless, I think, demand for this level of content. And so I love when I loved watching the movie, you'd sent it to me and it's just, it's so cool to see. It's so amazing to see people that, you know, after I interviewed you both to see you in this journey together, it's, it's been super cool to watch. Um, Ashley fast packing, um, John, your trail, First off, what is fast packing? I think I know what it is, but that's a very interesting term. Um, and it looks like you, um, well, tell me about your adventure on the John Muir Trail. <laughs> oh, this is such a good story. Oh, good. Well, I mean, where do I start? It was, um, so I actually, since Aconcagua, I, it took me a long time to recover from that rib injury. And then I proceeded to get sick again um, after I recovered. And then I got sick again. Um, not long after that. And so the first six months of the year, I actually hardly trained at all. Um, I think the, the biggest mileage week that I had prior to taking on the John Muir trail was about 31 miles. And it was the week before 
actually <laughs> I took on wow. the drummer trail. So not a lot of training going into it. Um, but I'd had this dream of, of fast packing the drummer trail. And I guess I'll explain what fast packing is. Um, fast packing. I, I think the definition is kind of vague for most people, but it's kind of a combination of backpacking and, and running. So, yeah. Um, you know, you're covering bigger miles than you would probably while backpacking. Um, you're jogging some of it, um, if not most of it. And then um, you're, you know, your sleep setup is ultralight. You don't have a lot of gear on you. Um, you kind of sacrifice comfort for a light pack um, to move fast and light. And so that's sort of what fast packing is. Um so I had wanted to fast pack the John Muir trail since I backpacked it, um, in 16 days in 2019 and, okay. um, had this goal of just doing the John Muir trail in under seven days. That's, that was my goal. Um, wow. yeah, last year I did actually get permits for to do the John Muir trail. And I was pretty stoked because it was like the best time of year. And I felt pretty well trained after, you know, a summer spent in the cascades, carrying a heavy pack and doing a bunch of running and being at elevation. Um, but the whole trip got canceled because of fire, of course. Uh-huh. And yeah, so I kind of gave up on the idea. And then especially this year, not having, um, any training and being sick most of the year, I was kind of like, yeah, it's not going to happen. I didn't get a permit in the lottery. Um, but we were actually down in the Sierra at the beginning of the summer. And of course my mind was like, well, I wonder if there's any permits available for the John Muir trail out of happy Isles." and happy Isles is the trailhead, um, in Yosemite Valley. That is like the official start of the John Muir trail. Okay. It's really hard to get permits, um, to start there. And so I checked the website, recreation.gov, and there was one permit available for a week from that day. And I just snagged it. I wow. didn't even think about it. I was just wow. like, I got a, I, my permit. Um, and so <laughs> I like, grabbed this permit and then I was like, oh, what am I doing? Now like, I have to I, do it. <laughs> I'm not ready for this. And of course, you know, I have a week to prep, but in that week I have a three day backpacking trip that I'm guiding wow. <laughs> and you know, about a full day of travel in between that, just getting to and from the backpacking trip. And so my, my, um, prep for the John Muir trail was only about two days. <laughs> and so it was, which I think was a blessing in a way because, um, if I had had months to prep, I think I would have gone into it going, I can't do this. Like, I'm not, you know, I haven't been training. I, you know, I, it just, it would feel way more difficult, I think. And doing kind of, it in the be, allotted time or doing it period? Just doing it period. Okay. Um, Interesting. Or probably in the allotted time, yeah. I think. Doing it yeah. at the level you wanted to do it at. Yeah, the you know, in the under seven day mark. Would have been um, would have been too much time to freak herself out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would have talked myself out of it, I think. I, I probably would have gone ahead and like taken it on, but I don't think I would have put, you know, any importance on it. It would have been like, no, this is just going to be a leisurely trip. Um, but yeah, you know, two days of prep and I kind of was like, well, let's see what happens. Um, I gave myself permission to bail if I needed to, or, um, and which I think was nice because then, you know, there's not a lot of pressure. Um, so I could just go out there and, 
and experiment and see what I could do. And um, I ended up doing it in, uh, I went from Happy Isle, the official start, to the summit of Mount Whitney, the official end of the trail in five days and 20 hours, Whoa. which, you know, was definitely under the seven day mark, but it was also under the um, women's southbound solo unsupported FKT That is mark. unreal. So, <laughs> yeah. At yeah. what point in those days did you start to realize, was it from the minute go or at what point do you start to realize that you are way exceeding your own expectations and you have a real shot at this? Um, did you know the record the, going in? I, would I did know did. the record going okay. in. Yeah, I did, of course, do the research and, you know, just wanted to check and, and make sure. And my A goal um, was to do it in uh, under five days. Okay. So whether that was like, you know, four days, 23 hours and right. 59 minutes, that would be like, you know, getting that A goal. My B goal was to... Um, get it, you know, under the FKT mark. So whatever time that ended up being, um, just like getting the FKT. And then my C goal was just to finish in the, yeah. under the seven day mark. And so I actually had enough food with me to last seven days, um, just in case. But, um, after the first day, first day was really Ooh, wait. out of the valley. Um, okay. Sorry. Your audio cut out for just half a second. You're, you're good now. Oh, okay. Um, but the first day was really smoky coming out of the valley. And I was kind of like, man, if it's like this the whole way, I'm definitely not going to make it. Um, because I started coughing all, you know, just in the first day. And, um, was, I was, was that aggravating your ribs or were you pretty well healed by then? Pretty well healed. Okay. I definitely Probably have some... aggravating her PTSD from the experience though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely have some scar tissue in my ribs. Um, so I could feel it, but mm -hmm. it's not, overly painful um but mostly it was just kind of like yeah am i going to aggravate it for one and two you know if the smoke sticks around for multiple days then that's not healthy and i'm not going to hurt myself yeah. to do something like this it's not enjoyable for me so and so i'm sorry I, what, what in your opinion went i want to know what went right enough for you to beat your expectations in the fkt but what what went wrong enough for you to not go under five days like for instance packing for seven did that slow you down to a sufficient amount to where maybe that held held you back it probably did slow me down a little bit uh you know that's extra weight and any extra weight that you carry is going to slow you down a little bit um i the heat was really extreme mm -hmm. during the effort and so i didn't get as many miles in during the daylight hours as I wanted to, because it was just, it was so hot. Like I can't even explain how hot it was. And when it's that hot and you're at elevation, it, it's just so hard to move fast. Um, you know, I was just overheating the whole time and, you know, trying to splashing cold water on myself every time I came across a Creek. Um, and so the heat definitely slowed me down a bit. Um, but the things that went right, oh, and I also had some food issues um, and electrolyte issues because of the heat. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mix my electrolytes. I actually got got kind of lazy, and I my electrolyte fuel uh, combo that I use from Gnarly Nutrition, Fuel 2.0, was in my backpack and not easily accessible to me. Um, and so when I refilled my water, I didn't actually put it in the bottle because... I was being lazy and I definitely felt that. Um, and it took a while to correct that. And that was on day two, I think. Mm. Um, 
And so hasn't Jason taught you anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I learned that I'm probably the laziest ultra runner out oh. there, and um, yeah, if I don't have the things that I need easily accessible, then I'll just forget them. Like if I don't have food in my pockets, I won't stop and open my backpack and grab my food. Um, that's just how I am. And I've learned that <laughs> over the years. And You're not the only one there. I, I've heard that story so many times on this podcast and other conversations. It's always that gel you skip that you think you can skip that ends up killing your race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really tough. And I think the heat also made some of my food go bad. Um, like I had these little, uh, you know, smoked sausages in my pack and they definitely like went rancid. Yeah. Um, and then I'm packing out, you know, these rancid little meat sticks for <laughs> the rest yeah. of the trip, um, which I was kind of bummed about because those were one of the only things that was actually sitting well with me. I think the saltiness, um, yeah. I really liked and, you know, the candy bars weren't sitting well with me. So I ended up carrying, I don't know, probably a pound of candy bars out, um, because wow. I just couldn't eat them. Um, but the things that went right were, you know, I covered, I had a bigger first day than I anticipated, um, which was really nice. And then going into day two or the second 24 hours, it was, um, the skies were clear. Um, there was no smoke and that definitely like gave me a little boost. Um, I averaged maybe 40 miles a day. Um, and I, you know, like I was definitely feeling the pains of being on my feet and, but, wasn't it wasn't painful enough that it was like game ending um and so just like every you know every time i took a nap i'd get up and i'd feel good and i'd go for a while and it was like okay you know i i can keep going like there's nothing that's going to stop me at this point um and so it was just being really aware of what was going on in my body and in my mind and i just kept moving day after day so i was going to ask you that what is in a typical 40 mile day um what how is that broken up in terms of running sleeping resting running walking hiking you know rolling (laughs) however you're traveling it was mostly hiking um i didn't get a lot i thought i was going to run a lot more but um it was mostly hiking the the heat during the day like i said really really slowed me down and all i could manage was a, a power hike most of the time um and because i had been so slowed down during the day i was trying to make up miles during the night when it was cool mm. um and so i would skip sleep like i i didn't really lay down for a solid sleep chunk um the entire time wow on the first night um I stopped for about three hours thinking that I would sleep for maybe two or two and a half hours. But after 30 minutes or so, um, I just was just uncomfortable and I was tossing and turning and it was like, well, I may as well just get up and keep going. Um, and then on day two, I found that, you know, if I just stopped and took a 15 minute nap, whenever I got super, super sleepy, um, I would get up feeling pretty refreshed. And so I just started doing that during the whole thing. Um, and so I didn't really have like a schedule. Um, I just would go until I couldn't walk in a straight line anymore. I called it the wobbles, um, because everything would just, it felt like the whole world was kind of wobbling. Um, whenever that happened, I would either pop some caffeine and see if it helped or, um, lay down for 15 minutes or so and try and take a nap. So I was going to ask, 
a oh, fun side story. A fun side story with that is our friend uh, Dan in, in New Zealand, who built the whole. Uh, for those that are aware of it, the SPS twenty twenty two dot com website that tracked the two guys that climbed uh, all of the SPS peaks this summer. He he let her use the tracker, but he designed the tracker because it does three D representations of the mountains people are moving through. Mm. But he built the tracker to to be dependent in order to not crash people's phones. Uh, it was dependent on there only being so many data points from the live tracker in a given day so that your your phone would never have to load more than a certain amount of the map because it was a high resolution 3D map, um, unlike you know some of the Google Earth stuff, which is, Google Earth is getting better now, but uh, it was like high resolution. Anyways, because she never, and he taught it to basically delete the previous track every time it stopped for more than three hours. Okay. And she kept just going day after day, only taking these 15 minute naps. And so eventually she's like, three days in having never stopped for more than like 15 or 20 minutes and it's starting to like crash people's phones and he's like she's oh she's my breaking God. my system because she won't stop wow, <laughs> wow that is crazy because <laughs> that was going to be my question is it better for you to maintain at a certain pace and then if you can't you stop and rest or is it you just continue moving forward until you can no longer physically move forward the second one. Yeah, okay. I would I would continue moving forward until I was, you know, falling over pretty much. Wow. You know that that feeling when you're Jason can Jason knows this feeling well when you're driving and you nod off oh, and it's, it's like horrible. this, you know, this yeah. sudden like jerk. You're like yeah. I shouldn't That's, be driving anymore. <laughs> yeah, imagine that but you're walking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or running. <laughs> yeah. My, the closest I've been to that was when my son was born and I I turned down an aisle in the supermarket and I woke up at the other end of the aisle with my head <laughs> on, like I had the big rolls of toilet paper. My head was on the roll of toilet paper in the cart <laughs> and I'd slept the whole way down. So oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that's the closest I've ever been in an ultra scene. <laughs> That's a, that's a great dad culture story though. It is. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tell people all the time, they hate it because any new father, um, I give it to them absolutely straight. The first month is like buds training for seals. It, it is nothing but sleep deprivation and screaming. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not easy. So it's, uh, you guys will be well-trained by the time you, <laughs> you get to that level. So, um, I have another question for you, um, as part of that it'll maybe come to me i do want to hear um in the end what i i, I want to make a, a part of the show is a little bit just specifically about gear and maybe just some hacks that you guys use um in these big efforts so so hold some of those things um jason you you had a big um push the california 14ers uh, Norman and Nolan's, uh, or Norman's, but then I wanted to ask you about, uh, the comparison between the two. So what, what was the story behind the, um, the, uh, the California 14ers? Yeah. So, uh, I was a triathlete, uh, as I did in my 30,000 foot flyover. And I think I talked a little more about it in our previous episode, mm -hmm. um, got very into triathlon before the car accident. Um, and so I built this skill set of being a multi-sport athlete, right? Multiple disciplines and transitions and all that. And there's a part of me that really loved that. And it was really fun to find opportunities to bring that into these mountain spaces. And one of them that had been on my radar for a long time was the California 14ers by bike or the human-powered California 14ers. Mm. Um, and so everyone who'd done that record previously had just biked between all of the primary trailheads to access each of the peaks. 
and uh, tagged the peak and then gotten back on the bike and went to the next one and so on until they climbed all 15 California 14ers. And, you know, it's not it's not a, a lazy man's chore. I mean, five of the peaks, six of the peaks are highly technical um, with fifth class rock climbing. Um, mm. So it's, it's a full on endeavor, regardless of how you do it. But I, I can't say I was the first person, but I'm the first person who took it from an idea into action and made it work. Uh, there's another record called Norman's 13 named after Norman Clyde, one of the famous uh, mountaineers who, you know, did a lot of the first descents in the Sierras and uh, okay. just kind of a, a historic relic, an icon of the, of the climbing culture in the Sierra. Um, it's named after him and it's a traverse of just the Sierra 14ers. There's 13 of them uh, separated by about uh, 107 miles uh, of on foot travel. And you use the JMT to connect for a section of it. Um, and what I realized was if you beat the record on Norman's by enough, when you exit that final trailhead to South Lake, if you go south to north, which is kind of the harder way to do it, because um, it leaves the most technical peaks at the end instead of being able to get the most dangerous technical peaks out of the way early. Uh, but it's like, okay, if you want to then link the two that's the way you have to do it and that's what i discovered is when you exit that trail if you beat the record by enough you're ahead of the current record for mm. california 14ers human powered so you just have to have a bike waiting there and you bike the 420 miles to connect white mountain and mount shasta sure and some of those and you get two records in one push um <laughs> and i was like oh man it's been in my notebook since maybe 20 why didn't anybody figure this out before all you have to do is ride the 420 and you're there <laughs> just I a mean, piece of cake on. you've already Jeez done Louise. you've already done 100 107 miles on <sighs> foot with 40,000 feet of elevate yeah 40,000 feet of elevation gain and fifth class climbing why not just get on a bike and bike 420 it's like people miles? don't even try sometimes <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> it's so <What's> obvious it? <laughs> um, yeah so yeah, no, it, it was this big passion project. that has been on my notebook since 2019 uh, when I figured it out and it was cool to finally make it happen to get back down to the Sierra. And I mean, Norman's by itself is a beast. I mean, your first day you have to tackle six 14,000 foot peaks covering 36 miles across a lot of it off trail, loose talus, like, you know, walking on microwaves and refrigerators that move under you for portions of it. Um, like pretty full on experience, not, not a casual trail run by any means. And then you do get a day that's a really casual trail run after that 36 mile day with six peaks, you basically run 50 miles of the JMT over three, three of the passes of the JMT. And wow. if you want to be on record pace, tag split mountain at the end of that 50 mile run. Um, and then, you know, get however much sleep you can get to set yourself up to hit the final technical peaks in daylight so you're not trying to do fifth class rock climbing moves in the dark um, wow. and you tag those final seven peaks um in that final push and uh so yeah it's it's a it's a full-on beast of an experience and as far as like comparison to to nolan's i mean nolan's it definitely goes to the runner right if you're okay. if you're a swift runner who has a little bit of mountain knowledge you can like do the Nolan's challenge and, and beat the 60 hour cutoff. Um, you definitely have to have a deeper knowledge if you want to be competitive with how competitive Nolan's has gotten with so many people attempting it and rehearsing it over and over to find the, the, the efficient lines. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a very competitive route. Norman's on the other hand, it's less competitive, but it's not for lack of trying. Um, yeah. 
everyone who's completed it has failed more times than they've succeeded. Um, and a lot of people have tried it and just never succeeded. Um, so it's probably, it, uh, there's three people who've ever finished it. And there's probably been, I don't know, some 12 to 14 attempts on it okay. uh, by people what's who your, actually what's your rehearsed ratio? it. Uh, I had, ratio? <laughs> I had, uh, I did one rehearsal of the technical section, which really wasn't an attempt. It was just a chance to go out and rehearse it. And then I made an attempt on it in either 2019 or 2020, um, and had just like a massive gear failure where all of my mm. means of verification, my watch gave me the blue triangle of death. Um, uh. I had a Garmin at the time. Now I'm, now I'm with Koros. Um, perhaps that's one of the reasons why, um, there you go. Got the blue nice triangle plug. of death on my Garmin. My spot tracker wouldn't function. And then my phone died. And it's like, well, Ugh. even if I break this record, there's no way to verify it. Um, so I ended up ab ab abandoning ship on that record, which that's yeah. one of my most frustrating failures out of the 13 failures of the journey to 100. That one's super frustrating because it's like, I did mm. everything right. I showed yeah. up ready and it was just stupid things happen. Um, but yeah, so I have one miss and one hit. Got with it. it. Wow, that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, yeah, what's, fifty fifty percent is great for uh, for Normans. Yeah. What's the FKT culture community like when you break someone else's record? Is it? Do you get a lot of warm responses in that? Do you? Does it depend on the person? Or is there sort of a, a an archetype of an FKT holder typically, or or is the or is it pretty varied? It tends to be more kind and supportive and encouraging. Um, or maybe that's just what I draw to myself because that's who I am and how I am about it. it. To me, it's not about owning the record. It's about it's about the fact that I'm participating in this ongoing infinite game of humans testing themselves and expressing themselves in the mountains. Um, and so it's like I move the mark or I create a new thing for people to test themselves on. And then I get excited when the next person comes along and finds a way to better that, to play the game better. Yeah. Um, there are some people within it. We've we've found a couple over our time that are very possessive, very that you know sort of finite mindset where it's like, this is my record. If you take it from me, I don't like you. Uh, yeah. uh, we've had a couple of those um, over our time um, where they're just they're just only about themselves and the the record uh. that they hold. Um, they don't want to help do think, or encourage. Ashley? Similar. <laughs> I would say mostly the the FKT community. I mean, that's that's the name of the game. You know, the fastest known time. It's what it's about is yeah. you know putting yourself against other people. But um, I really do love how the community is more like mostly warm and welcoming, and you know, willing to share beta. And um, you know, I think Jason sets a really good example of that because when somebody comes along who wants to beat his records. Um, you know, he doesn't withhold information. Right. He happily gives out information like, this is how I think you could beat me. And, you know, I think that the, a lot of the community mostly embodies that. And, um, you know, I think his example of that is, you know, definitely, a uh, has influenced a lot of other people to be the same. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, that's one of the things I love about the FKT community. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, what have we not covered here? Um, there's so many, uh, honestly, I think I could have you guys on like once a week for <laughs> months and not, you know, one of the, like, what is, um, I'd love to know maybe if you could each speak to just 
the best and the worst times you guys have had on these amazing adventures, you know, whether it was near death or just, you know, the one thing with quitting in a 5k is you literally step off the step off the road and you're, you're not too far from home. Right. But it's, it's a lot different when you're on the top of a 14 or, and you just decide, screw it. I don't want to go. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> not like you got anywhere to go other than to, you know, go back or finish. So what, what are some of the, just the miserable, horrible experiences you guys have had. Actually, you got to, you got to talk about the JMT hallucination stories. Oh man. (laughs) I mean, but those were, those like, I don't, so during the job year trail, because of the sleep deprivation and, you know, just pushing myself, I actually had very vivid hallucinations while on trail and they mostly were hallucinations of like creatures animals, um, mystical creatures. But the thing that I learned about myself while, while experiencing these hallucinations was that, um, one, like my hallucinations don't typically move. Um, so when I see them, they're like frozen and that lets me know that it's a hallucination, but the, there's a part of my brain that is, um, that just kind of analyzes everything and it just goes, that's not real. You can move on. And I think that that was really cool and eye opening for me because I know that I can trust myself when I am that sleep deprived and I'm in, you know, feeling that vulnerable. Even when your brain is making up magical, (laughs) (laughs) magical mountain creatures. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That I'm, you know, I'm not going to like run off trail and get lost or something. Yeah. Um, just because of some crazy hallucination. And I've heard of, of people doing that during, you know, 200 milers and even sometimes 100 milers where, you know, their hallucinations just yeah. get them and they like end up off trail or on the wrong trail or something like that. So yeah. it was really cool learning that. Um, but I mean, some of the hallucinations, I'll just give a couple of examples of them. Um, they always have, they usually happen at night. I had one very clear one during the day on the like second to last day. But, um, one night I was walking along and, um, the pine cones on the trail had turned into hermit crabs. And so they were like (laughs) hermit crabs with these little pine cone shells. And I was like, literally like trying not to step on them because I couldn't stand the sound of the crunch. I felt like I was like hurting them. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, skipping along the trail like don't step on the pine cones and did you Um, know they were pine cones that looked that were manifesting as as hermit yeah i figured it out okay i figured it out (laughs) but you still couldn't step on it it definitely occurred to me that you know i'm in the sierra there are no hermit crabs out here like obviously this is impossible um i just i just wish i could have been standing off to the side of the trail and just watched this watch this girl in the middle of the in the middle of the jmt out in the middle of nowhere in the sierra just like hopping over pine cones to not step on them (laughs) like what's going through her mind (laughs) oh hermit crabs (laughs) hermit crabs of course wow yeah um but I had, I, there was towards the end, um, I saw bears everywhere, um, which was really interesting. I'd like look around and I would literally see like 20 or 25 bears. And it's like my, of course, the rational side of my brain is like, that's impossible. You never come across that many bears in one right. place for one. And they were all frozen. Yeah. So it was like, 
nobody's moving. Uh, but I did actually yell at one of my hallucinations because it was so lifelike. Um, and I was um, crossing the Coyote Plateau. Okay. And it's just, just like very flat, high elevation plateau with like this lake and green grass. And then it's just like really sandy and pumicey. Um, and then there's like this one stand of old growth pine that's up there. And I was walking by that little stand of pine and I looked over and like startled and because I saw this giant black wolf. And it was staring at me. It was like standing sideways, staring at me. Its fur was blowing in the wind. It's a gorgeous creature. So and I frozen. like, not totally frozen. Right. Um, but I stood there for a minute and then I yelled at it. And I was like, hey, get out of here. You know, like yelling. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was probably just like a burned stump. Yep. <laughs> um, and it didn't move, like not even a flinch, it didn't blink its eyes. Okay. And I kind of was like, okay, it can't be real. Right. And so I started walking on, but I kept like looking back yeah. um, because that one was just so, so, so real. Well, I mean, bears um, and wolves, you don't want to be wrong. I mean, 19 of those bears could have been hallucinations. You don't want to be wrong about yeah. the one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there aren't really any wolves in the Sierra, let alone giant black wolves. Yeah. Um, of, you know, of that stature and like that kind of health. Um, and so I, I knew it wasn't real. Um, but I still felt like it was following me for a while. And then going into that night, it was probably the most bizarre night I've ever had. Um, scared when you're out there like this? No, not terribly. I mean, there's definitely some nerves. And on the last night there was like enough fear to keep me jogging a bit. Um, but it was like these creepy carvings and things hanging from trees. And like, at one point I was walking through, there's this like forested area with like big white, uh, granite boulders. And it's just like strewn with like granite chunks. And my mind turned those into like porcelain, uh, like porcelain statues that have shattered. And so like, you know, just like heads of dolls and like pieces of of statues that have like fallen apart. And every time I kicked one, it was like the sound of like breaking ceramics. (laughs) And it like, it creeped me out because I felt like it felt haunted to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just like skulls and crossbones and like bones hanging from trees and weird carvings in the trees. And, um, to the point where I actually asked some people after the fact, like, were there any carvings or like statues out there? And they're like, no, No. (laughs) it's like, okay, I didn't think so, but I needed to check. (laughs) So the last night was a little, was a little weird. Um, (laughs) but well, it's better than seeing like a bunch of guys in hockey masks and machetes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. old enough. I'd be thinking Jason Voorhees the whole time. Like Friday Thirteenth, <laughs> I'm in the woods. I know Jason's out here somewhere. Yeah. Well, and some of the some of the big rocks looked like tents, and so I'd be like, you know, I get this relief of suddenly I'm like, oh, there's tents. Okay, there's actual people around. But then I'd walk by and I'm like, no, that's just yeah, a rock. That's just a, wow. that's just a boulder. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Jason, how about you? What's the worst experience or the most, I don't know, crazy experience you've had in one of these adventures? Hmm. Worst, craziest. Um, oh, I've got one. Um, (laughs) so it's very, very seldom, you know, people talk about type one fun where it's like, oh, that's fun in the moment. And type two fun where it's like, it just really sucks in the moment. 
but then it's fun afterwards. You're super proud yeah. you did it and da da da. And then there's uh, of course a type three that nobody talks about where it sucks in the moment and you still hate it afterwards. And, yeah. and very rarely do I even cross from type one to type two. Like even, even when I'm deeply suffering and I'm, I'm in pain and it's tough. And you know, my half of my face is freezing because of blowing wind at elevation. Like even in those moments, I'm like, yeah, this is full on. And then, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of years of changing my mind about things, about what constitutes a good human experience. And a lot of self-work on that has led to being in a place where it's like, this is still an optimal human experience for me in the moment. I'm not just looking forward to being done. I'm, I want to be here. Um, but one particular instance comes to mind where I launched into what could easily be classified as a misadventure portion of a bigger adventure. And that was when I was doing Oregon's five highest, I decided to climb down a normally unclimbed side of Mount Jefferson, which is a, a pretty technical peak in Oregon. Um, and it's like, you know, pr probably I was a much younger mountaineer and much more foolish. Um, and it's like, it probably should have crossed my mind that maybe there's a reason no one ever climbs <laughs> up or down that side of the mountain. Yeah. Um, so I launched myself into this down climbing epic where it's basically small boulders and rocks glued in by mud on like almost seemingly, you know, to, to anyone standing on it, they would be like, this is vertical. I'm going to die. Um, wow. you know, and even being experienced and going like, okay, this isn't quite vertical, um, but it is like a no fall zone. And I'm basically trusting these mud cemented rocks to, you know, I'd, sometimes I'd have to like slide, you know, 10 feet down the, the muddy, you know, cement and like, go. Oh, I hope that boulder holds when I get to it. Cause it's, what's going to stop wow. me. Um, so this massive misadventure, um, and that's one of the few times that like I've genuinely had a, had a crack and I like called Ashley up and I'm like, I hate this experience I'm having. Like I was tearing up and like, you know, this, this is really rough. Like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get out of this one. Um, wow. you know, I'm making my way, but it was a bad decision to come down here and it's just yeah. as bad of a decision to try to go climb back up it. And I'm like halfway down. Um, how, how long was the stretch? Um, it was a, like between two and 3000 vertical feet. Um, I don't know how, over, over how many miles, but a uh, pretty short wow. span cause it was really steep. Yeah. Um, but just tedious, like maybe 90 minutes, maybe two, three hours. Like I, I it's uh, the time is gone to me. Right. It's like, I was just mm. so in the experience of like, just make the next move down, climb this, you know, mud cement into the next like little boulder ledge that I feel like I can relax for a second and then repeat the process of pulling the head together, make the moves, do what's necessary, get down rest um i was like using my ice axes in the mud sometimes as like uh down climbing tools it was pretty wow. it was pretty full-on uh very very emotionally taxing and yeah one of the few times that i was like this was a really truly bad decision and i'm not enjoying myself mm. um and so that one that one resonates in my mind yeah. it definitely is one of those experiences that's like locked away was um, there any other way out other than going back the way you came it was either back back the way I came and then down and around the whole mountain uh, the normal wow. way or uh, just continue down. And it just I could like see that it all went at about the same yeah. stress level as what I'd already done. And I was like, might as well just run it out. Like, let's just do it because, you know, it didn't cliff out below me or anything. Um, yeah, yeah and got, it, got it done, but would never go that way again. Yeah. 
Sounds so. fun. Sounds like a blast. Sounds like a blast. <laughs> <Yeah>. Pleasurable. <laughs> Ideal. So let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about the 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 gear and the companies that support you two on these amazing adventures. And again, if you have any. I don't know, hacks, or you don't have to talk about it if you don't have any, but just little secrets that you two have learned along the ways that are maybe non-obvious. But let's start with the gear first. So um, whichever of you wants to start. Well, I, I think I'll, I'll actually tee, tee Ashley up. I feel like her, like between her JMT experience and then this really cool opportunity came across where because she broke the women's FKT for the southbound JMT unsupported. Mm. She got an invite to Bhutan uh, to head to Bhutan here this next month in, in October and race this uh, race across what's known as the snowman trek, which is this uh, really high elevation, uh, 138 mile trek. And it's going to be a stage race over the course of five days. Wow. Um, but a lot of the trek is like between 15,000 and 18,000 feet above sea level. So it's like, you're getting up high enough that it's like hard to even walk, let alone run. Um, you, you know, for me, like I've had experiences where it's like I was in shape to run a 5:30 mile or faster, and I got up to you know unacclimatized, got up to 17:5, and I was like, oh, I can walk 10 steps, yeah. and then I'm winded. Um, so it's like pretty full on when you get that high for people that haven't ever been up at elevation. Um, it's a dramatic difference where you can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm fit enough. Um, it's like, no, there's just not enough air. If you're, if you're not acclimatized, <laughs> there's just not enough air. Um, it's physics and biology. So she's been refining her kit that she used on the, the JMT to, to be okay. prepared and even lighter for this, uh, but also colder, right? Cause the JMT is a certain amount of hot and a certain amount of cold day and night. Uh, when you're at, going to try to sleep at, you know, 13,000 feet. Uh, cause those are the, some of the low points. It's like, that's yeah. a different level of gear needed. So yeah, well, I'll tee, different... I'll tee her up with that context. <laughs> yeah. And it's different being a stage race because you will have time to actually sleep, right. Instead of just pushing through for five days. Yeah. Yeah. So the stage race, it's kind of nice because they will have camps set up for us at the end of each stage. Um, and so, but we are, because it's such high elevation, it's, it's in the Himalaya, um, it's such high elevation. We have to carry enough gear that, you know, if something were to happen, some emergency or like, you know, some crazy blizzard blows in or something like that, we need to be able to stay warm. And so yeah. there's a l certain level of, of like gear that's needed for it. Um, which has been interesting kind of sussing that out and like figuring out what is the best gear um, for me and I'm still making some gear choices, even though I leave in like two days, but, um, <laughs> no I would like say, yeah. Right. Um, my, I mean, my, like, first thing I would say is like my watch. Um, I got the Coros Vertex 2 watch and it should last the entire race without needing to charge it, which will make it so that I don't have to carry as much battery power. Um, which will be great because the less I carry, the yeah. happier I'll be out there. Um, as far as a pack goes, my favorite pack that I've been using is the six moon design minimalist pack. And it's really cool because, uh, it has this option to, you can order it with a running vest style harness. And so this harness has like 
so many pockets. It's wonderful. You can carry like all of your food that you need for a day plus, and, and then some, and then it's got a hip, um, hip pockets as well and the hip belt. And it just is so like nicely adjustable and comfortable that you hardly even notice it's on your back. It's what yeah. I use for the John Mayer trail. Um, it's what I'll use for, um, the snowman race as well. Um, like hands down, one of my most favorite pieces of gear I've ever used. And then, um, I'm using a a feathered friends sleeping bag and they make these like really awesome lightweight, but super, super warm sleeping bags. I think the one that I'm using is an, is rated to be like a negative 20 degree Fahrenheit bag, but it's like two and a half pounds. (laughs) It's Mm. like hardly weighs anything. Um, and so that's going to be a really important part of my kit. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing that's going to be super important out there is, is using a water filter. So, um, Sawyer is, you know, one of my favorite companies to work with for one, they do amazing things for the world. Um, like literally, Mm. you know, like they're, whole focus is on providing clean water to people and they do all these great projects in third world countries. And, um, but then they're also helping support me in this and, um, there, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I love the company. They make great filters. Um, so I'll be using a a Sawyer, uh, mini for squeeze, I think mini squeeze for, for the Bhutan race. Very cool. Jason. Um, (laughs) I'll definitely, I'll jump, I'll jump in there. Um, I mean, between the battery life, uh, the vertex two has 140 hours in standard GPS mode. Like, uh, like with what I do, 140. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. You can basically record for an entire week. Um, with what I do, right. The, it's not like there's a race official firing a gun and then stopping a stopwatch or, you know, running across a timing mat to start and finish and verify my, my times for these hundred FKTs, it's like, it is totally dependent on me having the data and the photos and, and all that to substantiate and validate that it yeah. was me who did it. And that I actually took every step of, of a given, you know, record course. Um, and as soon as Vertex launched or as soon as Coros launched the, the Vertex two, and I saw like the battery, it's like, that was enough by itself mm. to know I can trust not needing to recharge it and be out there for basically a week, um, and get good quality data. Like that was enough for me. Um, but it also does, you know, maps and, and navigation. And if you're a lot of what I do is off trail. Um, I don't think it's as big of a deal if you're, if you're just running on trails, especially if you know the trails, well, you just, you're just able to run, like turn your brain off and run. A lot of what I do is not turn your brain off and run terrain. It's, it's, there is no trail, your route finding, don't make a wrong turn. Um, and sure, you could do it from a phone or you could do it from a different device that you pull out and look at the map and get your, you yeah. know, orient yourself and be like, okay, here's the topo lines. Um, but when you can have a topographic li- like lines on your watch and a GPX track running through the train that you want to go to for your optimal line, it's like being able to just glance at your wrist and know yeah. you're on track versus stopping, pulling the device out. Cause it's like the other thing is oh, the yeah. terrain, the terrain is precarious enough and a fall is, is, uh, either damaging enough or deadly enough that you you yeah. can't just keep moving while you have your phone. You know, if you're on a good trail, you could just run with your phone out. I've even texted while running before. Yeah. Uh, probably disrecommended, but um, this isn't terrain where you can do that. So it's like <laughs> by default, if you have to pull a phone out to navigate, you're stopping. And if you have to do that, you know, 
18 times through the course of a night, even if you're super efficient, it takes less than a minute. It's like that's yeah. added, you know, 15 minutes to your time, 10 to 15 minutes to your time. Um, so yeah, it's made, it's definitely a game changing piece for, for, for what I do. Um, also peak refuel has been a, a new thing. I've been th- using their dehydrated meals. Um, sadly, it makes me self-conscious about how bad of a cook I am because um, <laughs> I will make their meals sometimes when I'm not in the back country. Cause it's like, that's going to be better than what I can cook myself. Wow. <laughs> um, so they're pretty good meals. That's to say they're, that's they're cool. pretty, pretty awesome meals and they're yeah. really high in protein. They were useful during the Bulgers effort. Um, when it's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to think for Jason three weeks from now, not just Jason in the moment and having protein rich meals um, yeah. with both the carbs and the protein was really important. And it's like, that's can be difficult to do when you're packing way out into the back country for, for yeah. th- four or five days. And so those were a go-to meal. Cause they'll have like 45 to 50 grams of protein per meal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those have become a piece that, that I'll use, um, for longer, obviously multi-day back country yeah, yeah. pushes or, you know, in my own kitchen when I'm being lazy. Um, Oh, what else? Uh, Norda shoes have been something I came across. Uh, definitely, you know, I always, I feel bad like talking about a lot of brands sometimes because I started off as a total dirtbag, right? Mm-hmm. I, it was the used shoes from a Salvation <laughs> Army or like a Goodwill and like an old running vest that someone was going to throw away and ice axes from the 1970s or 1980s, just like old, heavy, rusted gear. And I was out doing stuff like out on phenomenal adventures. Like some of my first FKTs were set using gear that was just old and beat up and, and, you know, not the cutting edge. Um, And so it's like, I don't ever want anyone to think like, oh, you have to have the fancy watch. You have to have the expensive, you know, backcountry meals. You have to, it's like, no, you can totally launch into this, like get some borrowed gear from a friend, like double check it. That's the the caveat is the older your gear is, the more thorough you have to be with checking your stuff. Um, But yeah, it's not necessary, but, but it is fun when you're in a, in a place where uh, you can use nicer gear and, and the Norda shoes for me, I've been looking for so long, like what is a shoe that has a solid rubber bottom with grippy rubber that I can trust while scrambling but also, yeah. you know, thinking about like the Norman's effort, right? You're do- basically running a, a hundred plus miler, but you're doing it while hopping across boulders and making rock yeah. climbing moves along the way. It's like, yeah. how do you do that without needing to bring multiple pairs of shoes on the same outing, which yeah. you know, makes it either you're carrying a bunch of extra weight or you're trying to logistically hike 20 extra miles to drop climbing shoes in to do the climbing in. Yeah. Um, Norda's like, they've got kind of the cushion level of a, of a hoka but they've got the like a solid rubber bottom that's really mm. grippy uh they use a dyneema upper which one of my other frustrations is when i take a shoe out of the box and with the kind of off trail stuff i do you know 13 to 20 miles later it's a piece of garbage and that's frustrating on a performance level where it's like uh okay now i'm doing half of my effort or more with blown out shoes or you know i ripped a heel off of a hoka in 13 yeah. miles once on volcanic terrain. And I had to run for another like 10 miles that day with, you know, basically on my toe. Cause there was no heel left on the shoe. Um, and then also on like an ecological front, like I realized there's an impact to me throwing yeah. shoes away every FKT. 
Um, and so the Nordis have been a shoe that with the Dyneema upper and this solid rubber bottom, I can go out and thrash on them for, yeah. you know, these massive efforts on really rugged terrain. And it's like, it comes out the other end. It's like, yeah, they you know, you can see that they've been worn, but they're good to go for, for more, more outings. Yeah. And I like that. I like, I just, I like not I just creating a ton point of trash. Out, I want to point out to the Norda product folks or the marketing folks that the Norda Hardrath or the Norda Winchester would be amazing names for shoe lines. <laughs> oh, I love it. That'd be wonderful. That'd be amazing. Uh, those both sound great. Are you, are you, are those the Hardraths or the Winchesters? Uh, yeah. Those yeah. Be good. Oh. Both work well. <laughs> but both excellent shoes. Excellent. Shoes. Excellent great, shoes. great colorways. Yeah. I could see yeah. it already. Um, cool. There'll be well, beautiful like product it. lines. I hope, I hope, Norda, I hope Norda is listening right now. Uh, for sure. <laughs> What's amazing to me is you've mentioned six brands that honestly I've never even heard of. So it's it's interesting wow. the 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 differences between the FKT world because this happened when you guys were both on each individual show. You had thrown out a bunch of brands, and there were a few that that were you know I think Black Diamond or somebody. But for the most part, it's such a different world than even just ultra running. You know, it's Solomon's and the Hoka's and everything else. But the these are six brands that I've never come across before. Yeah, no. Uh, and then I guess one other one that I, I, it won me over during the, um, uh, Bulger's push as well was path projects. They do like liner, a liner system separate from, from the shorts and they only go direct to consumer. Mm. Um, and I wore their liners and their shorts and never had to use any anti-chafing for the entire wow. Bulger's push. And I was like, okay, well, I guess, I guess I'm pretty loyal to your product now. Cause I was able it's to a climb a hundred mountains with yeah. no, no chafing and chafing wow. sucks. Um, and also I'm not a fan of like having to rub all sorts of gooey things all over yourself yeah. just to stop that <laughs> uncomfortable thing from happening. Um, not so. to mention they're also pretty awesome people. That's, That's true. It, it, it yeah. always means a lot to me when you work, when you work with a company and you can tell that the people are there like for more than just making money. It's not just a giant yeah, for sure. mega juggernaut uh, money-making machine. It's like, no, like we, we're trying to solve a problem and we care about what we do and we want to try to do yeah. good things with the money we do make and tell cool stories and, you know, promote outdoor culture as a, as a good thing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, Path has been a, a fun group of people. Floris at Path, he's a f really awesome guy. Um, Excellent. So, awesome. yeah. Well, very good. Um, where can folks, uh, I knew we were going to go super long because again, I think I could have you both on like multiple times and just barely even scratch the surface. So <laughs> where can folks find you beyond just the normal Instagrams and things like that? Um, Ashley, what are you up to otherwise and how can people kind of connect with you and what you're doing? Honestly, the Instagram is the best place to connect with me. I'm fairly responsive on that platform. Um, probably on it way too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, Instagram is is probably the best way to to keep in touch and keep up to date. My Instagram handle is Ashley A S H L Y. There's no E in Ashley. Ashley dot Winchester. Um, other than that, I like you. I have a podcast that I've like put on pause for. 10 months or more. Um, it's called women of the wild. I'm still on that <laughs> platform. I still yeah. have the website up. I am planning on getting that back up and running at some point. And so, um, yeah, I, 
through the podcast is a great way to to get a hold of me as well. Can awesome. people yeah, can people can... email you from there? Is that still set I think up? So, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I also I want to shout I want to shout Ashley out. Like she's a great writer. She's written a lot of my stuff that she's gotten into. Uh, trail runner and and some other publications if you've got like a super cool story you should totally picture your idea uh for a story to tell um if you're listening to this so yeah. yeah i love writing about people um i love writing about other people's adventures it's like one of my favorite things to do that's awesome yeah and take it from me if you're if you're hard in mind or telling you to take a break from the the podcasting i jumped out of the gate i was doing three shows a week and then two shows a week and i was so burned out and and it was just it was getting to the point where the reason that I started it in the first place is I'm kind of introverted and it forced me weekly to have these really in-depth, great conversations. And I was almost, um, it was really stressing me out. So, uh, now I'm, I'm so excited to get back into it and have these conversations anew. So definitely yeah, jump I, back in. I totally relate to that. I'm Fairly, I think I'm an ambivert, so I'm kind of introverted, kind of extroverted. But the podcast, as much as I love doing it, it definitely like takes a toll on you. And I always found that, you know, if I did an interview for the podcast in the morning, I, the rest of the day I'm kind of tanked, yeah, um, just because it takes up a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, um, sure. And so, but it is something, you know, like you that I love, and I love having these conversations. And so, I am planning definitely on getting it back and running. Excellent. I'm sure there's lots of women of the wild who would love to come on and tell their stories. So there's lots of women that I'd love to have on to tell yeah. their stories. I have a huge list of them. I just haven't. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Jason, how about you? Where, where can people find you? Uh, obviously people can find uh, journey to 100 on outside watch or on YouTube. Uh, pretty easy to just search the title um, and, and find it there. Would love it if you'd give it a watch and let me know what you think. Uh, as far as how to get a hold of me, I also have a presence on Instagram, really responsive, whether you want some feedback on an FKT uh, or you're looking looking for a coach. Also, if you're, you communicate in the good old school way through email, um, you can email me through my website, jasonhardrath.com. Um, and then I do have a presence on Facebook too, although I'm not on there as often anymore. Yeah. It's mostly just cross-posting from Instagram, but you could potentially get a hold of me on on that platform as well. Uh, those would be awesome. those would be the best ways. Awesome. Well, very good. It's been phenomenal catching up with both of you guys again, and I wish you nothing but success. Thank you very much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That is the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. Before I thank our guests, I'm going to ask you to complete three very easy, quick tasks to help uh, support the show. One, give us a five-star rating. It really does help in all facets of running the show, booking guests, etc. So whatever player you're using to listen to the show in, just pop in there, give us a quick rating. A review would be fantastic, but the rating is super simple. Number two, follow us on Instagram at Faster Forward Show. And number three, share the link or tell a friend about this episode that you think would enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening and thank you to Ashley Winchester and Jason Hardrath for sitting down sharing an hour with us we will have a specific post with ashley and jason for episode 49 on instagram and facebook if you have any comments or questions otherwise let us know in the comments what you thought or if you have a guest that you'd love to hear on the faster forward show drop us a note there or you can email me at troy at and that's b-u-s-o-t and as always until next time keep it moving faster forward everybody